Hey guys, welcome back to the Not Wonder Woman podcast. You're listening to episode number 14, Insider Tips from the Real Estate Expert. Welcome to the Not Wonder Woman podcast. No capes, no superpowers, just hustle. Not Wonder Woman removes the myth of the ladies who, quote, have it all and gives practical insight to help you, the working woman, conquer the world like the boss babes we know you are. Hey, guys, welcome back to the Not Wonder Woman podcast. It's me, Mel, and I'm here with Kieran. And today we are talking with our property experts. If anybody has ever been out there trying to buy their own home or move a business or lease a space for your business, this is the podcast for you. So, Kieran, have you bought your own home? I have. I'm a first time buyer. So when was that? That was last year. So it's, yeah, it was, it's actually like, uh, it's a momentous occasion, isn't it? When you become a homeowner, <laughs> we were so happy. And actually, uh, so I don't, I don't know what the property situation is in your part of the world, Houston, Texas, but um, we actually bought a new build, which means, you know, the house was being built, was being built before we bought the ha- the home. So um that is a different experience than if you're buying a house that is pre-built. It is not without its stresses, but I'm very very glad I ha- I actually we we bought what we wanted to buy it and I am mm-hmm. I'm, I'm very grateful because I know how difficult it it is to get on the property ladder. It's incredibly difficult, um especially if you want to buy a house in anywhere near London um it's very difficult it's very difficult um but we were really really lucky so we found the house that we wanted with the space that we wanted next to the schools that we wanted with the transport links I I got the list I got it I'm I'm very happy oh that's fabulous and so you guys have been there a year yeah loving it so loving it still (laughs) haven't fully decorated yet that's tough it's tough it's so tough (laughs) I feel like when you when you move into a home that has somebody else's awful decorating you make it a priority (laughs) you make it an absolute priority you you get people in you sort it when you move into a home that is new but stark white it's livable so you you take your time you go to farrow and ball you get some samples you really take your time I've I've had enough you're a minimalist yes minimalist I've had enough of the white walls now I'm like just get some paint just get some more anything just do it (laughs) I love it I love it you know I uh I I've done it, you know, too. I bought my own home and I've even sold my own home after I got married. And I've I've also done it on the work front and it is an ordeal, needless right. to say. It I is, think isn't it? for almost anybody in, entering into this space, if it is not your expertise, it's one of those ones where you just think I need an expert. And I will t- but I will tell you what I did on two of these transactions on my first home. I bought it myself by myself. No, wow. no agent. And uh, so I learned a lot. How did you do that? Probably made tons. In the United States, if you're a lawyer, you're allowed to do that. Okay. Uh, you don't have to have a broker. And mm-hmm. and for me, it was a value proposition because it was a um, it was a savings. I didn't have to pay a, a, a buyer's fee, right? A buyer's broker fee. And so typically that's paid oh. out of the seller's portion. So I got to deduct that mm-hmm. from the from my overall price that I offered on the home. So for me, that was really good, but it required me to do probably a lot more work than I was really 
it would have been worth it, I think, to pay my own broker $5,000 to have done <laughs> all the things that I had tried to do and probably did in half the time that I, you know, that would have taken them half the time. So, but, you know, it was a good experience. Good experience. <laughs> so Great I, experience. Take, let me just say this. Though. When I sold my home, I got a broker. So, yes. <laughs> to be clear. You learned. So after, <laughs> yeah. I learned my lesson. So, so in the US, you guys have amazing. to pay, you have to pay to buy? You have to pay There's a, a broker fee? fee on both if you have a broker there is there's a fee on both sides there's a there's usually usually for homes it's three percent for the buyer's uh, representative and three percent for the seller's representative and that's wow. typically embedded in the price of the in pr- price of the home when you go buy it or even if you think about it from a leasing perspective if you're leasing out something and I did the same thing for better or worse on my on my small business I was my own representative when it came to leasing space for a business so a little different than buying but uh, coming into a long-term lease for one of my businesses that I work with uh, I did it on my own and the short answer is I think there's a reason why people call experts that's it (laughs) Uh, do you know what the older I'm getting I'm just like do not attempt to do these things yourself because somebody who is an expert you're paying for the the job to be done properly and in half the time and if you worked out your hourly rate from your salary and then multiplied that by the number of hours that you have to upskill to figure out how to do the thing you've lost money like you've you are down just forget it (laughs) but you know if you know that you're going to use those newly acquired skills a few more times you know in your business you know lease and maybe you did it really well and you think actually I can do this so you go on and do it the next property fair enough but if it's literally a one-off and, and I'm probably thinking about decorating as well. I don't, I'm not doing anything. I'm not doing it because I know <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to do a terrible, terrible job just so that I can stand back and say, see that wonky wallpaper up there? I put that, I, I put that up <laughs> and I just think, no. So I'm just going to get the experts. That's it. Hey guys, welcome back to the Not Wonder Woman podcast. It is me, Mel, and I am running solo today without Kieran, but super excited to introduce my friend to you, Becky Hand. Becky, say hello to everybody. Hi. Thanks for joining us today. We're so glad you're here. So she is the first person I have done a podcast with sitting in my kitchen. So thank you for that. <laughs> we had no idea what we were going get, to get get going today, but the kitchen is working famously. So welcome, welcome. Um, Becky, why don't you tell just our audience a little bit about what you do every day for a living and, and then we'll go from there. We'll have a lot of questions because you today are our expert on all things real estate. Oh, well, thank you. No pressure. (laughs) Thanks so much for having me on today. So I work in land brokerage, and what that means is that I work in helping buyers uh, find properties to buy and sellers selling their property. So um, I specifically work in Houston, Texas, and um, land brokerage is more unique because in most cities there's zoning, which means that you wouldn't really need a land broker, but in Houston... There's no zoning, which means that there's an opportunity for um, a lot of different types of development, a lot of creativity, uh, to where it helps to have a broker help you find a property or sell your property. So now that we kind of know a little bit about what you do, tell us, how did you get into real estate? Because I know you, and I had no idea until I read your resume today that you were finance, and then oil and gas, and then now real estate. So how did you get there? 
So I uh, went to Texas A&M for my undergrad and actually specialized. Whoop. Do you have to do a whoop after yeah. you say that? Whoop. There you <laughs> Kieran, I know that doesn't mean anything to you, but trust me, the people in Texas will know what that means. Yeah. <laughs> um, and so I specialized actually in trading. I was going to focus on um, being on the trade floor, trading risk and investments. Mm. And so I did a bunch of internships following college. Uh, I really liked kind of the finance, the analytical. And so I ended up at BP right after college. Um, went through their training program and realized that I enjoyed the analytics side, but I was really missing the relational component. And so um, I found out about the opportunity to switch into real estate um, a couple years into working and um, just really felt like it was going to meet the need of relationships and really getting to build relationships, but also getting to use some analytical skills um, in valuing properties and um, that type of thing. So I made a big switch and um, haven't really looked back since. How many years have you been doing real estate now? Four years. Four years. Perfect. And you're a native Houstonian, is that right? Yes, that's right. Okay, born and raised. So you know the market we're in here. Um, you know, as we think about this Not Wonder Woman podcast and our expert series, which we're in the middle of right now, our idea is that we want to help um, women in business know how to think about real estate. So I'm going to ask you probably some abstract questions that maybe give an idea of people things they need to start thinking about if they think if they're thinking about buying real estate for their business for their home. Just what are the things that are important for them to look forward to and maybe think about planning for whether that's financing or other things. So just from a big picture perspective, if someone is looking to get a home or business. Uh, new property, whether that's rental or buying, kind of what are, you know, we always hear, you know, location, 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 but there's, that's the one thing I know. That's the only thing about real estate I know. But other than that, kind of tell me what's the, maybe your top one or two things that you really think people should be thinking about before making a big investment into real estate. I think especially, so we are, we just celebrated the first year coming out of Hurricane Harvey in Houston. I think one of the biggest things that in addition to location is, um, really the way that the property looks and so uh, we really advise if your property is in the floodplain that that's um, that's something that is going to be more and more challenging in the future to monetize because mm. a lot of the properties that were in the floodplain um, are losing a lot of value uh, due to new regulations that are coming out so I'd say in addition to location there's uh, kind of understanding how the floodplain affects your site how topography affects your site. We, we specialize a lot in land that is going to be redeveloped. Mm -hmm. And so most of the time we're looking to see, is it going to be, uh, are there any environmental problems on the site? And do you have any easements going through your property? So there's a lot of kind of additional things below the surface that are mm -hmm. really important to keep in mind. Who are the people that people call to figure that out? So, <laughs> yeah, that's a really good question. Um, so, that's one way that we as brokers can be helpful is since we're working on this all the time, we have relationships with different engineers, um, different architects, with the city. I've had a lot of calls with specific engineers that are working through just the new floodplain regulations mm -hmm. and how that will affect certain homeowners. And so, um, so that's, that's something that I think a good broker can help you with and at least direct you in the right direction. And so I think when looking to buy or sell a property, it's 
huge to be able to depend on your broker for that. Mm -hmm. um, so if they're saying that they can't help, they can't refer you, that's probably not the place to go. <laughs> not the broker for you. <laughs> I, you know, I, I've done a little bit in real estate in the sense that I've bought my own home, sold my own home. I've leased properties when I've been a lawyer for people and helping uh, retail businesses. As I'm looking through deals, to me, one of the biggest... It, risks or issues I faced was financing and thinking about financing. How, how should people think about the financing of, of going in there and going to either rent or buy and what kind of your threshold limits are? And um, I know you're not a bank, but I know you do these kinds of deals. So you think about these things. So, so help people know what maybe are the steps they should think about when they think about financing or selling or, you know, evaluation, all those things. Cause I know you guys work heavily in that. Yeah, so I think probably my experience is more on the selling side. And so I would say we work a lot with uh, multifamily groups in and actually a lot of different developments, but a lot of the times when luxury apartments are going to be developed, they'll be looking in Houston, and so the landowners we represent will be selling to them. Um, and so something that's really important to recognize with that is, like you said, the financing and the just – Really what happens in those deals is that these groups will come in and try to tie up as many sites as possible and then kind of produce an equity package, go to the, all their equity groups, try to get financing. And so a lot of uh, the time, landowners don't realize that, that they may be being played with in that um, situation. And so to really be aware of who the buyer is, mm. what their capabilities are, how they're backed. Mm. Um, so more from that angle, it's really important. And a lot of that also comes through kind of your your broker and their relationships. And if they've done deals with these uh, groups before, if they're reputable, what their reputation is like mm. in the market. Um, and those are all really important things. Those, those are great reminders. It just makes me think in general about negotiating almost any deal you really want to know the motivations of the other side and know, you know, whether, I don't know, I just think about what's their weak points, what's their strong points, so you can leverage that to make the best deal for yourself or your family or your business if you're going in and selling and, and, and things like that. You know, as I sit here for real estate issues, is there ever a time not to buy or not to sell? Like, how do you know, how do you know the timing of doing those things? And when is it right for you? Have you seen that kind of play out through your business over the years? That is a great question too. So typically what we see in Houston is every three to five years, there's what's called a cycle. Okay. And um, so what we'll see is that at the beginning of the cycle, the prices go up and there's this huge opportunity for doing a deal. But once all of the deals are in the market, then what happens is we call it a frothy market. And there's a lot of potential deals that could get done. And a lot of the time, there's greater risk that the property will not sell mm -hmm. or that the price may not be uh, what it could have been. And so typically what we advise is, and we're, we're actually in the thick of what's called kind of a frothy market right now. We, we came out of a downturn following oil prices mm -hmm. dropping at the end of 2014. 2015 was very slow, 2016. Uh, when Harvey hit Houston, that knocked a lot of apartments offline. Mm -hmm. And at the same time, we had very little supply that was coming online. And so... Um, but huge demand because huge, everybody yes. got kicked out of their homes, lost their homes, lost everything. Oh, wow. So there was huge demand in Houston. So on the kind of multifamily side, 
this current market is such that everyone is looking for a site. Everyone's trying to build. Now, if you fast forward 12 months from now, 18 months from now, you're going to have a lot of developments that are in progress, a lot that will be leasing up. And at that point, you're probably going to see pricing slowing down and in specific areas, not as much demand. And so what we typically advise is when the cycle is really hot, that's when you really want to take advantage. And at the same time, we'll try to advise when we realize that certain areas are not going to be doing as well, we'll we'll advise to kind of maybe take a different approach, Uh, maybe don't publicly market, but do more of what we call a rifle shot approach where we go to some select buyers and get feedback for the seller as to whether that's a good time to sell or not. Um, But that's typically the way uh, we look at it. There's also times of year that are better to sell in, and so it really follows kind of what you would expect. You have the beginning of the year right out of the gate, January, February, really strong activity. But once you get kind of closer into the summer, it gets really quiet, so you don't want to be marketing anything in the summer. And typically the other big window to market is right now, like September, October, November, before the holidays. Mm. Um, so you want you want to get your property to the market so that it can be under contract and closing before the downtimes of summer and, and Christmas. Do you think that's is that also true probably for other states other, or do you think that's maybe very specific to Texas because it's so high here no one's going outside to look at anything yeah <laughs> but but also you know have you seen this uh, writ large I guess across the United States and could we maybe extrapolate to my friends across the pond you know in England and those types of places yeah I think so I think definitely throughout the United States and, and from talking to some people in London as well everything just kind of shifts during the summer and Christmas time with vacations just way harder to get in touch with people and so the best times of the year are the beginning and then right around when school starts. Yes. And if you miss it, hold. Is mm-hmm. that kind of what you advise most of the people to do? If you miss that window for whatever reason, is is that kind of the idea is wait for it to, to move? Yeah, I think depending on how hot the market is, we would typically advise waiting until a couple months to do a, what we would call as more of a um, targeted approach where you're taking it to the market and that way when everybody sees it uh, it's fresh and Mm -hmm. new rather than something that's been around for a couple months and you're sitting there Mm -hmm. and you know are there these arbitrages in the market that happen that you've seen over time where it's for example you, you mentioned harvey and certainly harvey is something that houstonians you know think about and we just had hurricane florence and so just understanding that there's these great events. What are some things people should be thinking about immediately after that? Is there an, is there an arbitrage opportunity to go buy at those times or is there a, a wait and see pattern you would recommend for holding, whether that's on a business or a personal side? Kind of what, what is the advice you have for people after some sort of just, just global event or a big event that really shakes a, a, a real estate market? Yeah, I think that's a good question. I think in terms of there is opportunity, but really um, understanding kind of the what could happen with investing in a property. And like I said about floodplain and all of these other risks, I think there there's always kind of this desire for investors to get into a market, uh, but to really be educated and understanding 
what could be affecting their decisions and whether they should pursue something or not. I think that pricing in Houston just in the past five years for land has tripled in some areas we've oh, seen. Wow. Why haven't I been a part of that? <laughs> so, and this will be more specific to Houstonians, there's an area called the Heights. And in 2013, we represented a developer that paid just under $30 a foot for a like three acre property. Now, in the past year, we represented a group that paid $130 a foot, probably about a half a mile away from there. So um, there's just been tremendous growth in terms of pricing, movement. So for those areas, I think that maybe you missed the window. Um, There's other areas that you could definitely still get in early now um, and take advantage of maybe more arbitrage that is just unrealized. Mm -hmm. No, that's great. And so the short answer, though, call a broker <laughs> to start to start the process I think is maybe what you're saying there's a reason there's an expert in the field and you probably need them I think that's a that, that's a fair a fair estimate there I think that's what makes anybody an expert is knowing when to call somebody else for help so I think that's the definition of expert in my mind you know I'm, I'm going to go back a little bit not just to real estate but just you got into real estate you said after kind of working with big oil company and finding that you just weren't getting real interaction so this isn't about real estate this is just about understanding yourself and and knowing when you need to make a change. I guess what happened in your kind of work life that you said, this really isn't working for me? What was that aha moment? And how did you really think about saying, okay, now real estate's the plan, making that jump? We talk a lot about people in our series of finding their dream jobs. And so I, I would be remiss if I didn't ask you kind of how have you found this niche that fits you so well? And how did you identify that you needed to make the change? That's a great question. I think that it really hit me when um, I realized that I really didn't want to get up every day and do what I was doing. <laughs> and so it was it was something that was fine. I really enjoyed the people. And I think that was the hardest thing to leave were mm-hmm. the people. But I think it's a really good point you make about kind of realizing you have options and taking that jump. And so For me, I think that the things I was prioritizing, I really wanted a flexible schedule that Mm -hmm. I could really take control of and that I I would have say over. I didn't want to be tied to a desk all day, Mm -hmm. really not be able to get away. And then I think the other component was I just really liked the idea of being able to be creative and grow something. Mm -hmm. And so even though it's not necessarily my own company, really getting to name what your contribution is going to be and really kind of set the limit for yourself was something that was really exciting to me. So I think that's probably why I initially made the decision. I think there was the initial jump that I think probably within the first three months, I was like, did I do the right thing? I probably should have stayed safe and energy, like great paycheck and maybe, maybe flexibility is overrated. Um, But it was definitely worth it. And I think that with any transition, you really have to be able to give it the time Mm -hmm. and and remember what your goals are too. So kind of writing out those goals and understanding this is what I'm wanting to get to makes it a lot easier when you're kind of working through that transition. Are you a goal writer all the time for a lot of things, not just work? Yes. Mm -hmm. You are? How do you do it? Mostly in like just journaling. Okay. I'm really all about like paper and pen. So... Yeah. What? Yeah. <laughs> kind of like, yeah. <laughs> I say what, you guys, because Becky is well more than a decade younger than me. So it's shocking to hear that 
that come out of her mouth. <laughs> but now I know, and I've known Becky for a while, so I didn't know that, but I like it. Is that what you even brought here? Did you bring your journal with you? Yeah. She, okay, you guys. So she's got a journal here with her iPhone. So that tells me. I write down everything. Oh, that's so good. Okay, yeah. wait. So how did you get in that habit, just in general? So this was actually, so little plug, I guess, for the full focus planner. For but, sure. Um, yeah. <laughs> They're not paying us. This is free advertising, guys. Go yeah, I guess probably about six months ago, I had uh, stumbled upon this planner that was really focused on every day setting three big three goals for yourself and um, every week kind of having an overview of what you're trying to accomplish for the week. And so it's really just been a great way to organize kind of what's important to me each week to keep myself from bus- being busy with little tasks mm. uh, to really accomplish the big three. So now the journal never leaves me. And <laughs> I, lo- I can tell. <laughs> yeah. oh, I love that. You know, I, one time, this, this again, not about real estate, but about life and work and all the things we try to do every day. Somebody gave this to me right when I started practicing law. He was my mentor for many years and now just a very good friend and still mentor. But he had this box that he put everything into and it was at the top of it was the word, it was a matrix and it was important at the top and then unimportant and then urgent and not urgent. Mm-hmm. And he said, you want to live in the world of important and not urgent. you certainly don't want to live in the world of unimportant and urgent because that's terrible, right? That's when you feel like you're spinning your wheels for no good reason. Um, but you know, prioritizing things that way has been a focus of mine Although I am not as diligent as you in putting it in a book, but I do think it is so important. It's it's so great when you say put these three big goals down because that's exactly it. Let's live in this world of important, you know, doing only those things and then make yourself more valuable and maybe outsource the rest as best you can. Yeah, uh, you know, but it's but that's it's hard to do and it makes but but I know it makes you successful. So that's why we got to ask these tips of great business women like you what they're doing to to get through the days. It's time for the Fast Five. No planning, five questions, real answers. Are you ready for the Fast Five? I think so. I hope so. Do you have your journal ready? You might need to open it up. (laughs) I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Um, Okay, so these are five questions. Becky and I have not planned these. She doesn't know they're coming to her. But the first one, starting with, what's your guilty pleasure? Chocolate. Nice. Definitely. Is there a brand? I I might get a plug from them later if you say. (laughs) No, I'm just kidding. I love dark chocolate. Okay. Um, Ghirardelli. Mm, nice. Those are good ones. When you met your husband, what was the first thing you noticed about him? I noticed, huh, good question. He has red hair. I noticed he had red hair. <laughs> I played him in dodgeball and I um, got his name wrong. And so I was cheering for the wrong person the whole time. <laughs> now you know his name for sure. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Who did you call him? I called, his last name is Hand and I was calling him Head the whole time. I love that. Actually, that's brilliant. Mm-hmm. Okay, did he correct you or did you correct him? I or found out you... like a month later. Okay. He didn't tell me right away. He didn't have the heart. He was like, "I really want to ask you I out." Was so embarrassed. <laughs> didn't talk to him for a while. Oh, that's hilarious. I love it. So, this is question number three. What is your like personal anthem or song that just like gets you going when you get up in the morning? You're having a bad day, or like you know all the words and you sing it out loud every time. Good question. Okay, so the first thing that comes to mind is Good Morning by Mandisa. I love that song, yes. Because it just makes me so happy. So anytime it comes on the radio in the morning, it's just 
wonderful um, to have a good morning. <laughs> I love that song. It is a good one. Here's my fourth question. Would you rather be always 10 minutes late or always 20 minutes early and why? Always 20 minutes early because lately I've been running late and I feel really bad. And so I think it'd be better to be early and then I can spend time reading and catching up on other things. I never plan enough time to get to the place I need to go. Like, I, that is what I'm so bad about. I need to probably journal that or put more time. And how do you do that? Let's just say, how do you get there 20 minutes early? Like, what's your trick to make sure you do that? Like, do you put it in the calendar? Do you think about? Okay. I think my, the trick for that is choosing to leave 20 minutes earlier. <laughs> because the part that always messes me up is that I don't leave enough time for travel. Nice. Yeah, that's what I, that's what I'm, anyway, that's totally, totally what I do all the time. Um, and I got to get better at it because I feel like it's so unprofessional of me and I'm only, you know, 42. So <laughs> maybe I'll grow out of it in some, something. What is, and this is a question I asked Kieran uh, and myself, and we've talked about it last time we were together. What is your biggest pet peeve? Like that you see people do. Okay. And I'll give you R2. Can I, I'll give you R2 just to give you some grace in answering this because yes. you don't know me and Karen. So Karen was saying just um, being kind to other people. So like if you see a person in a rush, just let them go. You never know what's happening in their life, those kind of things. And, and so just when she sees that, that makes her crazy. And then my answer to the same question was my biggest pet peeve is bad grammar. So there's my two, like there's our two. What is yours? Oh, that's actually perfect. So I'm like a huge spelling fan. Ah. Uh, so <laughs> I typically do see errors a lot in like materials. And so I don't know if that's a pet peeve as much. I think driving uh, is definitely where the pet peeves come in when people cut you off or when people don't use their blinker um, and swerve in front of you. Those things bother me. I just I know. Don't you wish we lived in London where they could, we could just take the tube or something like that? I wish we didn't have to drive everywhere. A lot of stress. My brakes on my car. I know. <laughs> that's right. That's right. Well, from the two girls in Houston, I feel like that is a perfect ending to our Fast Five. Thank you so much for joining us, Becky. This episode is generously sponsored by Blonde Biscotti Coffee and Biscotti Bar in the heart of Houston, Texas. They are proud to serve third wave coffee and soft baked biscotti, blondebiscotti.com. Thank you again for listening to today's episode. Don't forget to click the subscribe button on iTunes so you never miss a show. And we want to hear from you, so please feel free to send us your questions and comments to notwonderwomanpodcast at gmail.com. Or you can find us at our website, notwonderwoman.com.